What's up, friend? I just have one question for you to open up today's podcast episode. Have you checked on your canary? (laughs) You probably like, Shell, what in the world are you talking about? If you have not yet read chapter seven of Forgiving What You Can't Forget by Lisa, you like, girl, I am not tracking. What is this canary that you speak of? (laughs) Well, in short, at the beginning of chapter seven, Lisa tells us about how British coal miners would use canaries as an indicator of whether or not their environment was toxic. So I ask again, have you checked on your canary, okay? Have you dialed into or checked on any indicators that your environment might be toxic? Yes? No? Maybe so? Let's get into it. Are you feeling like it's finally time to break free from trauma and the drama of a past relationship? Do you find yourself searching for scriptures and sermons for ways to heal from past pain and forgive those who gave it? Are you hoping that someday you'll finally have the clarity you need to move on with your life? Well, you have found the right place. In this podcast, you're going to find clarity, sis. You're going to gain confidence. You're going to find new strength. And that's all going to be done through scripture, tips, resources, and coaching so that you can start to live a more fulfilling life. Grab your journal, sis. Let's get to work. All right, friend, I believe that everything we discuss in today's episode should help you understand why it is that coaching is so important. Because after you've collected the dots, which we talked about a couple of chapters ago, and then connected the dots, which we talked about in last chapter, based on your findings, you now need to correct the dots, okay? And this is honestly why coaching is so helpful because you're going to have blind spots, right? Your perspective is going to be limited to just your worldview. So it can be important to have someone to listen and to offer up alternatives to your view that can help you better correct your dot. So you're not out here swerving all over the place and hurting people in the process while you think you out here healing and getting healthy. Okay. Now I do believe the Holy Spirit can do this all on his own, right? So if that's what you're experiencing, then great. Amen. Hallelujah. More power to you. I have been there. I know the spirit moves. Okay. But If you thought you'd done the work and keep finding yourself back at square one, then that may be a sign that you need to engage your community and you need to get some extra help. And that's where radical comes in. All right. We're here to help you fill in those gaps, love, and to help you get to the other side. I feel like so many people waste so much time because they just won't tap in. Like if you would tap in and just spend the little $47, <laughs> it could save you a lot down the road, right? Like is this work is honestly truly priceless because it changes you forever. 
We're here to help you fill in the gaps. We're here to help you get to the other side. If you could use that in this season and you're not going to be out here just still stalling and stumbling, trying to figure it out, okay, then head on over to eradicalrelationship.com backslash forgiveness coaching, book your free discovery call to start the journey, and we'll see if we're if we're a good fit for each other and how the Holy Spirit might be leading us both, okay? All right, so let's get into this juicy chapter. So I want to start out by just reading through the canary analogy that Lisa shares with us um, on page 91. And she says, this chapter will will be like carrying a canary in a small cage down, down, down to mine the deep recesses of our hearts. For decades, a little canary in a cage was a warning detector for British coal miners to avoid carbon dioxide and other deadly gases, carbon dioxide and other deadly gases. The miners used the canary as a gauge for something they weren't able to detect with their own human senses. Come through, Lisa. If the, if the canary became ill or unresponsive, The British miners knew there was something harmful in their midst. They had to address it immediately by getting the canary and themselves away from what was toxic. That canary was the early warning detector for a miner digging deep. And you know, here at Radical Baby, we like to go deep. None of that surface level stuff. She says, I pray this chapter will help you and me not just sniff out what might be some unhealthy perceptions and beliefs, keeping us from forgiveness and the path of healing, but also help us better interpret what we see in front of us right now. If the miners didn't pick up on the distress of the canary or went too long without checking in with the canary, they would miss seeing what was crucial for them to see. Okay, back to my original question. Have you checked on your canary? They wouldn't be able to interpret their situation correctly and the consequences could be dire. Hello, can somebody say check on your canary, tap your neighbor and say, check on your canary. (laughs) Okay. Now, y'all, I love, 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 love this analogy. And I think it's great for grounding us in some practical advice and wisdom that we need in order to be diligent about sniffing out toxicity. And honestly, we need to treat it as if our life depends on it, like these miners, because it does, okay? Our emotional lives depend on this, our emotional health, our spiritual lives depend on this. The health of our relationships depend on this. Us being able to thrive in our relationship with God depends on this. We might all be able to guess, right, what happens when we don't do our job in sniffing out toxic environments and correcting those things, even when it's within us, right? It may not always be outside of us. Sometimes it's within us. We're, We're the toxic poison okay we're the toxicity we find ourselves when we don't address this in dreaded situations that honestly could have been avoided if we had taken our emotional and spiritual health more seriously right I also really liked the threefold process that Lisa laid out as the secret to her own processing I could really relate to that 
She said the three steps were pain, acceptance, and perspective. Pain, then acceptance, then perspective. She describes the pain as experiencing what's happened and how it made her feel, right? So that's the event. Acceptance was acknowledging that she couldn't change it. So now I'm starting to partner with this event in the only way that I can. Acceptance. It happened. Ain't nothing I can do about it. And then perspective is figuring out how you want to deal with this thing, given the fact that you can't change it, right? And how you're going to allow it to shape and form you. So this is when I do what is within my control and figure out, okay, moving forward now that this thing has happened, what is this going to look like? And that's where the real magic happens, Perspective is where the real healing and forgiveness takes place. That's when people start to hear your testimony and wonder why you can talk about it the way you do, because you should still be broken, disappointed, guarded after everything that you've been through, right? You should have all these boundaries up. You should have all these walls up. You shouldn't be as trusting of people, but God, okay? I also wanted to read um, some of the questions Lisa noted that she asked herself um, in this process because they were just so good that I'm like, I can just read these verbatim. She asked herself, um, do I cringe, roll my eyes, feel my pulse quicken, clench my jaw or let out a sigh? She's looking for the indicators. Do I shake my head at the unfairness of good things happening to them? She's asking herself how she's responding to the person. Do I celebrate secretly when I hear they are having difficulties with thoughts like they finally got what's coming to them, right? Do I dream of the moment when I get to present all my proof and hear them finally admit what they did was wrong? When I talk to other people about this story, am I quick to try and convince others how wronged I was, hoping to elicit a satisfyingly sympathetic reaction from them toward me and some kind of statement affirming how awful my offender's actions really were? If they are still a regular part of my life, then am I always expecting the worst from them? Am I easily offended, put off, aggravated, and annoyed by them or people who remind me of them? Woo, she's spitting facts, okay? Or, so let's look at the other side of the coin and how we could be responding. Do I acknowledge what was hard but feel a, a sense of calm and peace? Can I sincerely pray for them when they're facing difficult things? Can I manage my emotions when good things happen to them? Am I eager to share a helpful perspective when others facing a similar when, with others facing a similar situation, hoping to help them get to a better place? Can I look for what's good in other people? Do I look for life lessons and collect those instead of grudges? Come on. What heart, what hurt might my offender have suffered that would have let them do what they did? Can I have compassion for the offender's brokenness? Can I be authentically kind to this person who was unkind to me, even with the boundaries I may need to draw, right? So this is all an assessment of how's my heart towards the offender? And then some questions to help you start to see it from a different vantage point. How might I look at this differently? 
Is there a redeeming part of this story that I can focus on? What good could come about if I decide to forgive and not keep dwelling on the ways that I was hurt? Are there positive qualities about myself that can emerge if I choose to move forward without holding on to grudges? So if you're looking for a place to start with processing and you need some good questions to ask, these are certainly some good ones to start with, baby. You can take each one of those with a journal and just go to work because they are good. And as Lisa has noted, this will be a process, y'all. This is not trying to lean in for a quick fix so you can get over it. This is leaning into the process. It certainly won't happen according to our timeline, right? We have to be patient and our life circumstances will continue to inform some of these questions even years down the road, honestly, You likely will not have all of your answers right now. And that's okay because this is starting the journey. It's not just picking up the pen and doing some journaling and thinking, cool, I can wipe my hands, got over that, did that. No, ma'am, it don't work that way. Okay, so I'm going to need you to slow down. I'm going to need you to start the process. I'm going to need you to invite the Lord in. And I'm going to need you to just embrace this in the everyday as things come up. Something that uh, stood out to me personally as I was reading this was the role of suffering and pain in our lives. And this especially stood out to me as I thought about my recent episode with Daisha, where in it she mentions that suffering is the way of the Lord. The scripture reference that Lisa gives us around this is Romans 5, 3 through 5, that starts out by telling us that suffering produces perseverance. This helped me to see suffering and pain really as a stepping stone, right? It helped me to see it as exercising a muscle that I'm going to need to be strengthened if I want to enjoy life on this side of heaven, because people are going to offend me. People are going to hurt me. I'm going to offend people. I'm going to hurt people. If we're going to be in deep relationships, we got to learn how to get through pain. Okay. I can't allow every painful experience to take away a part of me. It's crucial that we learn how to use these as stepping stones. And so I ended my reflection of this chapter by asking myself, what has correcting the dots look like in my own life? How was I able to love again and trust my heart again, trust God again and trust myself again post-divorce, right? So here's a few ways that I corrected the dots in my own life. One, I did away with legalism. When I dated the first time, I found myself way more concerned about how things presented than how they actually were. Did he check all the right boxes for a Christian relationship? The problem with that existed in the fact that I had added standards onto God's standards and in some ways were more concerned about the opinions of others, right, than I was the opinion of God, for example, I remember one time, y'all, someone gave us advice not to pray together because we needed to guard our hearts. And that might be, you know, too intimate for a dating couple. Your hearts might get a little bit too intertwined. I don't know. Like, don't recommend that. In retrospect, (laughs) that don't make as much sense to me as it did back then, right? Of course, I didn't need to be praying with him about things that could make him stumble, you know, like say any sexual temptation or even just oversharing in general. I do think it's wise to pace yourself. Um, 
in a dating relationship. But I do think that there were ways that we could engage in this spiritual practice as brothers and sisters in Christ, which we were first, especially considering the fact that we wanted to be married and we could still guard one another's hearts and exercise wisdom. So you see how legalism takes out the room for the in-between. That to me is a more well-rounded approach as opposed to the legalistic approach from the advice given, which is just avoided altogether for the sake of your hearts. Or we could learn to engage with this good thing with the Lord and with each other in a healthy way, right? I can also remember thinking about certain temptations and how I wondered if they would disqualify me, right? From a good relationship, from a godly relationship. It was simply legalistic, all right? So that was one of the ways uh, to correcting the dots look like accepting my imperfections and not trying too hard not to mess up in my next relationship, right? Like my flesh would want to be like, okay, where did I go wrong? And let's be sure not to do any of that again. Of course, there was still a standard to be upheld as a Christian, duh. But I was able to surrender to my imperfections and know that I would always strive to do the right thing in every situation, but also accept that I won't always get it right. And when I don't get it right, I can do what it takes to correct my wrong and move on. Right. I don't have to stay in this place of constantly dwelling on the wrongdoing. Again, that's that's part of legalism. A third, I really learned to accept the control I didn't have. And quite frankly, there were some some very overt and damaging things that had been done in my previous marriage that had nothing to do with me. They were very poor decisions on his part as a married man. Correcting the dots look like allowing his wrongs and their impact to be his and not feel like I should have done something different. Those are his actions. Okay, that didn't have anything to do with me. Now, I will say with this one, I may have slightly overcorrected, right? Because I'm probably too quick in my marriage now to be like that. I ain't got nothing to do with me when I feel like it's something that Aaron needs to work on for himself. So in humility, I can acknowledge that his problems are to some extent our problems, right? Since we are one and we're a team there, there's just only going to be so much I can do if there's work that he needs to do on his end. And I think that's a better way to correct, right? It's not that anything that he's dealing with is just his problem, but there's only so much that I can do. Some things are, may require more of him because they're more of an internal issue. So just a little quick fix, you know, on that. And then lastly, I would say just acknowledging how I want it to be different and being that no matter what the other person was bringing to the table, I want it to be me. I didn't want to make my changes contingent on how the other person treated me or if I felt safe or not. I just wanted to be the change regardless that I knew that I needed to be. Now, again, of course, with wisdom, But if you're always pivoting to fit the mold of the circumstance, that's tiring and people shouldn't have that kind of control over you. If you're naturally jolly, then be jolly. Don't be less jolly because a certain person isn't like you. So you dim your jolliness around them. No, ma'am, let them catch this joy. Okay. (laughs) if you're kind and you like doing nice things for people, then do the nice thing, even if you don't get the thank you. If you don't get the acknowledgement, because that's not our motivation, right? That should just be the cherry on top. So I didn't get all that. 
off my chest. As you can tell, your girl has spent some time correcting some dots. Now, if you're listening to any of this and you're like, nah, Shell, that ain't for me. Like I'm far from what you're describing, right? Then you need coaching. And I would direct you back to exhibit A (laughs) at the beginning of this episode where I mentioned setting up that discovery call. So do not pass go. Do not collect $200. I'm going to need you to go back, go back (laughs) instead, head over to the website and book that call. Okay. Until next time, loves, I'm out. Hey girl. Hey. If you enjoyed today's episode, sis, chances are there are other women just like you who would enjoy it too, but they won't know about it unless we actually tell them, okay? So if you don't mind helping me spread the word, will you take 30 seconds to leave a review of the show and then screenshot this episode and share it with your friends wherever you like to hang out? It really would mean so much to me. All right, go and review those journal notes. I'll meet you back here next week for another session. 